out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Indeed we are, Jim. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 Show, always bringing you the finest in indie pop and beyond. As we like a special guest, this week it's going to be the turn of the young gods because I spoke to Franz Treigler very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that other groovy sort of stuff. Plus, they have a new album, single and a tour that's coming out. Um, Well, the tour is happening this autumn 2019, just in case you listen to it sometime in the future. Um, And the album also came out this year, 2019. They have a new single, You Gave Me a Name. It is absolutely fantastic. This is the interview. This is the, uh, and it's um, after a few minutes of just chatting with friends, as you do, um, speaking about the time when I saw them in London in 1989, when they were headlining and Silverfish were supported, and also about Steve Mack. Yes, Steve Mack from That Petrol Emotion, because I spoke to him and did an interview with him several years ago now, and he mentioned uh, when he was uh, travelling Europe, he met up or bumped into friends and they formed a friendship. I know, this is a lot of detail, but this is the interview where, um, yes, we probably start off with me talking about that very interesting point. I hope you're paying attention. Make notes. I will test you at the end. Anyway, this is the interview. Thank you for listening. This is good because I was just thinking I'd saw, I saw the band play live nearly exactly 30 years ago when you were in London and Silverfish were supporting. So that must have been, that was 89, October. 89. Was that in uh, it was a, uh, Yulu? University. Yes, there was a little venue, uh, and we'd sort of gone down because we were both, well, I was, me and a few friends. That was were, wild. That was wild, wasn't it? It was a wild, and um, I can remember that kid because I felt quite intimidated. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> you know, it was it was quite a heavy. It was wild and heavy. You know, there was a lot of energy, wasn't there, in the room? And, yeah. And yeah. when the band started, and like I said, it's you know almost thirty. What it is 30 years, years ago, yeah, exactly. Probably, so, yeah. you were, you know, obviously the first album had just sort of come out, and um, yeah, mm-hmm. pe- people were getting very excited. And then a few years ago, or a year ago, I interviewed Steve Mack, who was in that petrol emotion, sure, sure, sure. And he, in the kind of course of this one of these interviews, he sort of talked about bumping into you when you were both traveling, and and he said something about. Oh, you were both thinking, yeah, we're going to get a band together and all that. And it's like, oh, well done. Good luck. Yes, yes. So can can you remember meeting Steve? Sure, sure. It was on a boat. It was on a boat from uh, Athens to uh, some Greek island, uh, uh, Crete, Crete. From Athens to Crete, we met on the boat. He was with a bunch of friends from, uh, from the States. And uh, four people actually, and uh, I was, uh, I think I was traveling alone. And uh, no, I was with two friends from Geneva. Then we met on the boat on the deck. Uh, everybody was sleeping on the deck. You know, it was like a quite a trip. It took a, like a night, uh, night ride to Crete. Yes. And, uh, and then uh, we spent uh, a good week together. Uh, maybe two weeks actually, and, and and you know starting to know each other, and then um, uh, I had no news, and I saw him on on a, a cover of uh, I think the first that Petrol Emotions uh, single, 
And um, I had a friend living in London who, who uh, actually met him. And he was with me uh, on that boat ride when we, uh, when uh, so so the connection was like two because we met in Greece and, and then uh, uh, I went to visit him in, in London and uh, when the youngots formed then he he, he had uh, already like a, a record out with that petrol emotion their, their first uh, album was already out and they um, they let us uh, uh, live in the squat. They, they were squatting somewhere down uh, London Bridge. Yeah. And um, that was their headquarters, and they were staying there. So we, we were welcome to stay. They had a room for friends. And so we we moved to London with the, with the Young Gods um, in 86, just right after the first single. Stayed a couple of months, you know, played all the pubs that we could play. And then we started doing like support. We supported that petrol emotion quite a couple of times. So they helped us a lot at the time, you know. We yes. Were, we were close friends, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, they really sort of took off. I mean, obviously, there was members of the undertones. But then they did sort of have that sort of sound which kind of fused sort of indie pop rock with sort of a certain dance element as well. And Steve was just also a great front man as well. So I can remember also seeing them live quite a few times and thinking they're going to be so huge. And then he told me his kind of the band's life story and it just seemed to always be like just that minute they were about to make it big, something went slightly skewy skew with with the uh, you know i don't know some record label here and a record label there and yeah. just nothing quite lined up you know it was like they got yeah. signed by some record label and the bloke who really signed them and loved them said i'm really sorry but somebody like paul mccartney's just asked me if i'd want work for him or one of his companies and you can't down turn down paul yeah. mccartney so mm. ah, yes okay. so things like that kept happening in in the petrol in the music petrol. industry <laughs> it happens a lot <laughs> yes this is true yeah. because i was being you know doing this show now for sort of three years and i thought wow there's i can remember the sort of the whole indie world and I suppose I was also I have to confess a really indie kid at that time so I was you know really into all those kind of jingly jangly bands but then it was John Peel that started introducing us to other bands and other sounds and he was the kind of gatekeeper who sort of introduced me to those bands like the Bundy Boys and then Liebark and Napalm Death and 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 being one of those people you just had to go and see all these bands because frankly a John Peel played them, but also they were so different. So that was when you know still people like Silverfish started to come along, and then the Young Gods. So you obviously, yes, came along at that time, but were not anything like the go-betweens, the Smiths, or the June Brides, were you? <laughs> no, no, definitely not. No. So when yeah. were you? Just kind of get a little bit of a background. What was the sort of your your youth, the musical kind of? you know, life of, of you as, as a team? What was the sort of the music that you were listening to at that time? Because most people of my age and a bit older will just say the usual sort of references, which, you know, we watch Top of the Pops and listen to, you know, bands like Slade or David Bowie and all that kind of stuff. All the glitter, just... yeah, okay. So basically I had the chance to have a, an older brother Five years older than, than I, you know. So, so I was I was born in '61. So uh, he he was like uh, playing when he started listen, listening to music. Probably when he was uh, 13, 14, he was bringing bringing home all those vinyls with a 
uh, early psychedelic music, you know, and uh, a bit of prog rock. But the, but my favorite ones that he was playing were like the, the classic now, uh, the classic bands from from the late '60s, like uh, early Floyd, early Doors, you know, Led Zeppelin, Hendrix, all that stuff. And I was like eight or, or something, you know. So. Uh, um, I was listening to, to those his records at home. We had one turntable uh, for the whole family, and uh, anytime I could, I would play those records, you know, and, and dive into the music. And uh, the thing is that Switzerland, being a, a, a country with different uh, linguistic parts, is uh, and and also with let's say uh, a level of. Uh, uh, life uh, that we had lots of imports that were like records coming from the states in record stores uh, records coming from uk in, in record stores so we could have access uh, to all this world of, of music uh, within switzerland you know i think we were we were well uh, documented and, and uh, culturally able to to know what was happening around the world, and even from you know being surrounded by France, Germany, Italy, uh, we were very curious about uh, all that. Yeah. But uh, so we were listening to lots of different music, sometimes even uh, not understanding the lyrics because it was in English most of the time, you know. But but we I grew up with in, in this surrounding like. Uh, liking a lot of different kind of music, you know, coming from all around, uh, specifically Anglo-Saxon music, but uh, um, both America and uh, and UK. And uh, so I grew up with uh, uh, early psychedelic music, and then when I was 16, and uh, I was really deep into uh, deeply uh, um, into punk. I really I, I made a. a a, a switch to punk music, you know, like Pistols and, and uh, Stranglers, Rats, and all those bands were that, it, they impressed me very much when I was the energy impressed me a lot, you know. So so basically, if you listen to the to the Young Gods, you can you can relate to that, you know. The, I think we we are very psychedelic, but we we have this. Uh, 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 energy of uh, doing fast th- fast songs and uh, a punk attitude sometimes, you know, like uh, we sampled a lot of punk bands, you know, the, the Youngers riffs, you know, so it's a, it's a mixture of all what we actually uh, loved when we were uh, teenage and post-teenagers. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, because it's interesting because I'm probably a little bit younger than you, but I was a, I was very influenced by by my old brother who was seven years older, and he got you know he was really into prog rock, you know Yes Genesis, Barclay James Harvest, you know even mm-hmm. the solo work of Van um, Van Gelis and Tangerine Dream. So I kind of got all that, and being you know like ten at the time. I guess around that age, you know, I just thought the whole thing was just amazing to listen to because the charts were so boring or not boring, but, you know, yeah, they were just, yeah, you know, pretty disposable. The so the, mm-hmm. the, the wonderful world that was kind of this complicated prog music was, was quite interesting. Yeah. I mean, how important is music for, 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 um, for a kid? You know, I think it's like you, you, you feel you have some relate i mean some older brothers playing some music around the world that they know exactly how you feel you know like that's that's the magic of music you know people you don't know but 
you, you can uh, uh, relate to them and their message in, in you know message into brackets but you, you you can relate to 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 the emotional thing just by the music you know that that's that for me that was my my um, like a, some kind of a refugee you know like a uh, no i mean a refuge you know like a, a place i could I, I could be in my room and listen to music and 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 i, I was not feeling alone anymore you know like music was, yes, was a, a friend of mine you know and especially those bands you mentioned it can be prog rock it can be anything but i think it's very important when you grow up you know to have at the time i don't know how the kids are, are, are now needing to have the music as I did at the time, but uh, but that was very important for me. Yes, well, it was, it was interesting you mentioned the turntable. I remember when the family bought a turntable, and it was a because I think when my parents, when they first got a home together, they had to sort of, I think, sell everything, including their record, you know, their record collection, my dad's, you know, Elvis oh. records, and then, you know, and, <laughs> and, 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 and all that kind of stuff, you know, and just literally scrape by on this very sort of meager kind of amount of money which now you'd think they lived in poverty, but I think that's how working-class people were, you know. It's yeah. just like you just didn't yeah. have anything, you know. You didn't have a washing machine, you didn't have a coloured telly. You might have had a radio, and, and you know, the telly was black and white as well, by the way. And then it was mm-hmm. like, you got in, in the 70s, you got started getting introduced to a sort of coloured color TV, which I remember it was like 1972, because they thought, oh, the Olympics are on, perhaps we should buy a coloured telly. And then in about <laughs> the late 70s, we got, we got a telephone, you know, because my brother had gone in the army. I mean, it was like, oh, well, he'll need the phone home. We can't just go to the phone box anymore and just wait out there and eight o'clock on a Sunday evening we should get, a, you know, and that was the 70s. I mean, it was kind of bizarre. So I so, remember so, so I remember getting this kind of the record player because, um, you know, and my brother would get these records and, and tell me that I was not allowed to touch them. But obviously when he left, <laughs> when he, when he left the house, I would sort of sneak in, get these records yeah. and play them while, you know, keeping one eye on the sort of door, making sure he didn't come in and then sort of listening to them. Uh, so, so when you said how important music was it was like my god it was so important you know yeah and you know it was a real discovery like what are these records you know these not the records but you know who is you know like you know genesis or yes or yeah i loved i used to love genesis i was a big fan you know especially the the with peter gabriel you know you know that was like that was one of my first show ever was the lion lies down on broadway here in switzerland and i was like amazed wow you know. Yes, well, absolutely. Yeah. So then, as as the punk period, and it probably slightly happened when I started going, oh, and he, my brother, <laughs> without going on about my brother, he was really disgusted by punk, you know, he was like, this isn't proper music. And I was like, oh, no, this is really good. And, you know, I love these songs and all that. So you, obviously, as we trucked into the sort of 80s, did you, there weren't a lot of, so who were you sort of thinking, you know, like musically? How did you start to think, let's form a band? When did that start to sort of become a, a sort of a reality? So I, I started uh, when punk broke out. Basically, I was like 17, 18, and I wanted to to uh, form a band because uh, I liked that energy. And I thought it was a good way also to uh, scream, you know, about the system and uh, the, the, the conservatism that was... Uh, uh, all over the place in in in, in Switzerland, and uh, I wanted to sp- um, share that culture to m- my fellows uh, contemporaries, and I started working in a 
a club as well, you know, booking bands. I was doing uh, engineering and playing with friends. And so that started when I was like uh, 17, 18. And uh, I, I played in a, in a punk band first and then uh, very, f- you know, in early, in 81, I think 82, uh, we split and then I started doing music on my own a bit. No, in 84, sorry, it was a bit later than that, 84. And then I found myself alone and I didn't want to deal with uh, musicians anymore. So uh, when the, the first sampling device came, uh, I mean, a, a affordable sampling device came on the market, then I, I started doing music on my own and sampling stuff around and making a collage with with a four-track cassette machine. And that became the, the, the raw material of, of uh, the first uh, Young God's uh, songs, basically. So that was 80, late 84. And uh, in 85, I asked my flatmate, Cesare, to to help me uh, with the with the technology because he was a, a geek basically early early age geek you know yes. op- 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 opening computers and and and, uh, and uh, we asked a drummer to join and we we, f- we formed the band this way in, in 85 yes. so I, I had this basic raw material and we we started uh, jamming that and and that's how the the young started basically so uh, because of the sampling technology, you know, I, I used, I mean, before that I was a guitar player and when, when sampling came on the market, I was like blown away. I thought, ah, oh, you can make music without having to tune a guitar, without having, without having to, to, to do, uh, uh chords one, you know, uh, you, you, to, you think differently, you think sound and you don't think chords and strings, uh, guitar strings, I mean, and, and, and so on. So you, you, you change your approach into writing music uh, totally. And that was for me a revelation. So I was only using a sampler and, and a, a multi-track and then live drum and voice on top, you know? Yeah. So that's how uh, the band formed and, and uh, it kept on doing this for, for 11, 12 years, you know, only sampling drum and vocal. Until ninety six, basically. Ninety six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, do, were you sort of also as that as those early years were progressing? Were you kind of also looking around, thinking, you know, seeing people like, I suppose, I don't know, Depeche Mode and New, New Order and other sort of such, you yeah. know, like Heaven Seventeen and Propaganda. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was all these kind of other bands that were coming through using, you know, that. I think it was ZTT Records, wasn't there as well? Yeah, was sure. Bringing kind of stuff. So, what, was that technology changing incredibly quickly that you were thinking, "Oh my God, they've brought something else out now. We need to go back to the shop and get something else." No, no, not because because I I, I think until ninety five, ninety six, I was really really uh, um, satisfied with with the possibilities of sampling. And I was not into synthesizer so much, you know. Although I liked it, you know, uh, we were we still are big fans of Kraftwerk, Cesare uh, and me, and even Bernard, our drummer. But uh, yeah, Depeche Mode, I thought was was very interesting, and uh, I was more into bands like you know, Bernd Stürzen and Neubauten, this German band. You probably heard of it, but it, it's uh, it's more like the essence of what we could call industrial music, banging on, on, on uh, 
metals uh, playing heavy guitars and doing abstract noises and stuff like this. And uh, this was a very influential band from Berlin at the time for me in the 80s. Yes. They were, they were five years older than us. They were like, you know, all, all British band like Killing Joke, who were doing post-punk, you know, Gang of Four, that kind of bands, you know, that's what, that was, I was really into that at that time. Yes. More, um, more than synth pop, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think the other band that I can remember from Berlin was a band called Dissidenten, but I don't know if they were just... Yeah, Dis- Dissidenten were great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. God, they, they just had such an awesome sound. So obviously, kind of that period, because this was kind of the, the period of indie music that I was enjoying in that kind of, you know, like the... I suppose indie music I put down from 83 to 87, which was the kind of golden years of kind of like, basically they were mm-hmm. the years of the Smiths. But then when they, they broke, it broke up and then the dance scene started and, and obviously within that you had the mainstream charts, but then you had all these other kind of bands that started to, to bubble under as well from, from America and, and, and elsewhere. So you sort of, did you sort of ever think oh god where do we fit into this or did you just were you just that unique that you, you quickly sort of formed some <laughs> a, 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 you know, it was yeah i think it was always kind of hard to see where we were we would fit in you know but because like steve mack i remember i had these talks with steve mack, going back to steve he said oh i'd love to do a surf band i would love to do a, 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 a indie pop band and i mean i like so many different styles france it, it's well, it's difficult to to, to take a direction you know, and it was like, well, at some point you have to make, you have to to decide a little bit where you want to go because you can, you cannot, you know, play a repertoire with uh, each song is a different style, you know, Steve. <laughs> but but that's it was always hard to fit because also I loved early hip hop, you know, like Eric B and Rakim or or, uh, or uh, uh, Public Enemy, you know, people using sampling technology as well, you know, in a different way than what we were doing because we were a rock, a rock band yes. and they were, they were a rap, hip hop kind of band, you know. But uh, I think I was pretty open-minded in that sense that uh, uh, not really knowing where we would fit, then we, of course, you know, we were tagged industrial band because people, I mean, all the bands that people did not know uh, where to put them in which box to put them. Then you were, you were tagged industrial, you know, at the time, basically, especially if you were using heavy guitars and, and a bit of electronic. So we always were too electronic for, for, for rock audiences at the time and to rock for pure electronic uh, audiences. So, so it's always been, uh, something we didn't really care because I thought uh, music is is one thing, you know, and I don't want to uh, make it uh, complicated and, and and decide that this is the police of rock and roll, like we like we say over here, or the police of electronic music is going to decide where you can fit in or not, you know, and all that stuff. I think music is 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 a really powerful uh, uh, tool to, to unite people, you know, so, so if we start to making uh, too much of a, a, a differences with, with styles and things, it doesn't make no sense at all, you know, I think it, it's there to federate, you know, it's not there to separate, you know, so, so I think 
you know, that's why we could play with the bands like Silverfish or, or, or an electronic music band as well. You know, that would be welcome. You know, I think audiences have to be challenged at some point, you know, not to, to, to music is a thing to keep people with an open mind. So, so, uh, um, that's what that's that's what we had in mind ourselves. We 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 thought, look, we can do rock without guitars. We sample guitars, but on stage we don't have guitars. If you're disappointed by that, then just you know, what can I say? You know, listen to the music and what what, what you get from it. You know, and it doesn't matter if you don't have the cliche of you know, bass guitar, drum and vocal, and that's the way it should be, you know? Yes. It's, it's anti-conservatism, and if, if, if music became, becomes uh, conservative, then it makes no sense to me at all, you know? Well, absolutely. And I just, I, just, I can remember, because obviously sort of came to see you in 89, but John Peel, I know I keep on about John Peel, but, you know, it was just such a great show in the sense that he, again, wasn't that bothered about what the genre of music was. He seemed to sort of yeah. go through the entire, you know, like how many different types of music are there. And, I'll, and he'll play, you know, he seemed to sort of, what I quite liked about it in a simplistic way, that he'd sort of find a good indie track, he'd find a good rap track, he'd find a good African music, reggae, you know, well, dub, yeah, and then just put it together so i think that's kind of what exactly it kind of because uh, i've it's not it was an example of open mind yes and and i wouldn't say i've i've got a sort of a limited um attention span as a you know as a medical condition but i do sort of get a bit bored and think oh, i really want to hear something just so different you know so that's why john peel did appeal to me because it's like you know it was just that thing of flipping from flicking from one thing to another. And and one of the bands that he introduced me to in that period as well was Liebach, who I just mm-hmm. loved that kind of both the image and also the sound. And also the fact that they there was an underlying atmosphere with the band that seemed to have, know that they were also having fun. That was my projection of them because they love to do a good cover. And I remember you also were also covering the work of Kurt Weil as well, weren't you? Yeah, we covered Kurdwal. We covered Gary Glitter as well. <laughs> so there was like a, you know a big jump of like people were like, what are they doing? You know, <laughs> so that that's 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 fun, you know. But Kurdwal is what to me Kurdwal, especially uh, when he, he was working with Bertolt Brecht as as a lyricist, um, were almost like a, a, a pioneering pioneering uh, association of people. Uh, doing pop music because uh, they were uh, calling the piece if you take for, for example uh, the three penny opera they call it an opera but there is not any body in the crew that knows really how to sing bel canto you know it's like and the stories about um, criminals uh, it's happening in dirty soho and there is like a priest and, and prostitutes and and criminals and it's like street stories and and it's a bit um uh, there's a lot of uh, un- undermined uh criticism about uh, uh, the political situation in germany of the time you know the pre-nazi uh german uh atmosphere yes. in, in, in which people were living at the time, you know, and it's a bit avant-garde, it's a bit dissonant, and these people are not singing uh, right pitch way, you know, so uh, I think, and it's pertinent, in the, the, the content of the, the lyrics is very pertinent, 
and always uh, it's not frontal but it's like a sideways kind of approach of, of the, the topic you want to talk about so to me this is the essence of pop music you know it, uh, uh, you think you're listening to a nice melody and uh, with uh, just a sugar sugar honey honey and then if you go behind the lines then there's much more there than 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 you think you know so uh, I think Kurtweil was was a pioneer especially w- when he was working with a uh, Bertolt Brecht, it, yeah. it's a fantastic uh, body of work. Yeah, mm-hmm. Because cause a couple of years ago I went down to London to see, it was Barry Humphreys, all the way from Australia, he was doing the work of the Weimar Republic. He was playing a few dates with an artist called Meow Meow. And so obviously <laughs> it was all that kind of music, the kind of the pre-Nazi Germany you know, music that was banned. I suppose that's what he, he loved it as a child. And, and he said, you know, he loved always singing these kind of songs from that, particular period the 1920s and 30s so there was that kind of an atmosphere um and i've always been kind of intrigued by this kind of music that was it had a great narrative it was like early nick cave wasn't it really but um, exactly (laughs) but great stories of of kind of like that that was written god knows i'd have to count it on my fingers but decades ago wasn't it before the germans and the nazis decided well not the germans but the nazis banned it because it was degenerate music Music, they called it, didn't they? Exactly, and, and they so generated music, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that that was it, and I know Barry Humphreys, who who also created the character of Dame Edna, just loved it. So it was a, it was an amazing experience to sort of listen to some of this music being recreated again. And then, obviously, my first love in life was David Bowie, because that was my first single and first album, which was so lucky. It could have been Gary Glitter. I missed that. Which one. single was it? Um, it was Space Oddity, and I, All I right. and I listened to the and the B side had Changes and Velvet Goldmine on the other side. It was like my God, B sides were so good in those days, and and then uh, the first yeah. album was Changes One, which was like. I was so, like I said, that was such a fortunate one. I dodged so many bullets. It could have been, because I was part of that, you know, I wanted to be in Gary's gang back in 1973. Yeah, all the, the stuff, yeah. But my first single was uh, Gene Genie. Yeah, oh. First, yeah, you see? <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, Gene yes. Genie by David Bowie, yeah. Well, yeah. a classic. And can you remember the B-side? Uh no, I don't remember the B-side. Maybe it was an instrumental of Gene Genie, wasn't it? It might have been. But then as we, we, as we consumed and just were obsessed with Bowie and went through all the stages of Bowie, which I must admit, you know, um, it was incredible because it wasn't always easy, I'd have to say, especially during the 80s. But then he, you know, I've seen Ziggy Stardust, the film. He did My Death, which we all sort of loved and then realised we needed to go and, and sort of discover more music from sort of these kind of other foreign artists. Because, with you know, when, when I saw you in 89, Dad, were you doing the September song, by the way? Probably 89, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I kind so. of, I seem to remember that as one of those kind of moments. But then, you know, it was 30 years ago and I didn't know if I started to make these mm-hmm. things no, up. I, I think that was the time, I, yeah, we, we, yeah, probably, yeah, because yeah. We, we did the first, we, we did the whole Courtwell show, show in um, September 89 and then we kept on um, some of the, the, the this repertoire with us uh, in late 89 and, and 1990. We played them live, yeah, sure. And September song was definitely one of them, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And were you doing the Alabama song? Was that because of the doors? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. But that's that's one of the songs we we uh, played maybe 
five times live maximum you know we didn't keep on playing that one but we it's on the record it's on the Courtville record definitely and I uh, yeah I, I was introduced to Courtville by uh, uh, at school you know my, my German teacher but also because of the, like the, the doors you know definitely. yes we remember Jim Morrison's version it just had mm-hmm. such such energy to it because the other thing that I've noticed doing all these interviews that most bands have a five-year narrative you know that they get together they play they make a sound that's kind of you know I suppose the bands I like John Peel played them they'd get a John Peel session then you know they get the first album things are going kind of well the second album sometimes a bit tricky if they ever do America they come back broken into and just <laughs> and just say that's it I'm never doing this again I I never want mm-hmm. to see these people how did you managed to navigate those kind of early years because again it was like that you know most people at those you know, those those the honeymoon period it's 24 7 in the band and and it suddenly takes off and you're not quite ready and you think oh my god it's happening suddenly we're, we're sort of made it like most bands don't make it do they as in you know get going they they hope to but they they're still on the sort of runway as as time passes them by but you didn't well we we had a, a, a couple of you know, changes in, in, in the members, definitely, you know. Uh, our first drummer, um, we had to get rid of him after two years, and then um, Cesare, who started the band with me, he stopped because it was too hard, and he wanted to uh, build up, like, a, a, have a family and have a steady job. So we had a couple of changes, you know, but uh, uh, basically, uh, yeah, you it's it's an alchemy. You never know, you know. I, I think it's, you have to, especially when you, you do, let's say, uncommercial music, you know, you have to keep on believing in it. And, and uh, yeah, we had some, like, our second drummer left after uh, touring, six months in the States, you know, or doing two United States tour of two, three months, you know, in the same year in 96, and he stopped because he was exhausted. And and he said, I don't want to spend the rest of my life uh, drinking beers in the backstage, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a second kid and I've seen the first one uh, growing up. So uh, that's it for me, you know, guys. So thank you. I had a great time. But uh, so, <laughs> I mean, you never know. We had some periods where it was harder than others, you know, and uh, we had we had to reinvent ourselves, not only um, uh, um, let's say uh, humanly, uh, but also musically, and and uh, but yeah, we still we still here and still enjoy what we're doing, you know. We most I mean, average of the band is 58, you know, so uh, we're not youngsters anymore, but uh, but. Uh, ready to go on tour for a month you know <laughs> yes well absolutely so I that's mean great you know yeah I think most people don't realize that actually there is this other side to it which is really you have to dig in quite emotionally and I was also really obsessed with Lem, uh, Motorhead and Lemmy and I know that he always mm-hmm. had that thing that he he said you can't you can't be in a relationship and in a band it just doesn't work and and I, I've mentioned that to a few people and they go no no that's not true but I know for him he just knew that yeah, he just had some to... people manage, some people don't, you know, I think, I think, I would say you, I think you can be in a relationship, but I think it's, it makes it harder if you want to have a family, because it's, it's, it's getting more complicated, the more people, then the more uh, expectation and the more, 
presence in love or culpability you feel if you want to that kind of stuff you know so that's it's it's a it's a it's a it's not a comfortable zone you know uh especially i mean if 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 you always have to work you know because if you make like a a couple of hits or sell a lot of albums then i think you can manage that better but uh it depends on people you know it's, you never know you never know yes and you must have been really pleased when bowie once mentioned that he you know i, I can't remember the the the, the journalist terms yeah yeah i was very pleased definitely that he uh, he sort of... it, yeah, yeah, that was that was a great. Uh, because Bowie was was always like a, a he was always searching for. Uh, I think he had even people telling him, "Oh, you should listen to this and this." I've been this week. I've been listening. To this. He was always like very. He was a, a curious man, you know, very curious man uh, in the sense that curiosity for uh, contemporary music and what young bands are doing so so yeah i was amazed you know because i i, I grew up here in switzerland where nobody believed in, in swiss bands at the time you know you, you people thought it's useless to to do anything because you will never cross the border basically you know so so when you have a, a well-known artist like references like bowie who, who mentioned you it's it's just fantastic, you know, because because you you see, ah, yeah, okay, that's great. <laughs> yes, well, it yeah. must have felt kind of weird, but but on on a personal level, as you sort of develop as an artist, and, and you sort of realise you you have that first stage and thinking, well, you know, we've done it, I've managed to get this far, and you've got to remember, you know, Bowie spent the sixties making some pretty forgettable music, which is kind of curious, but only because of what happens in the, the next decades. But did you also start to look at your own self? and your own sort of creative journey and sort of start to have ideas and plans which were different to how you felt when you were in your teens and 20s? Yeah, sure, definitely. There was a time uh, when I started also making collaborations with a contemporary dance or I wanted to, you know, I think, uh, yeah, definitely uh, there was... A, a question also we we at some point like i told you we we were sampling based until 96 and then we we thought this this is becoming a formula we have to change that we have to it's not that a, a surprise anymore we you know we, so we went into more like a, a home computing and and uh, doing music in a different way to challenge yourself to to learn something different you know and and approach composition in a different way uh, and so on you know um, am i answering your question yes or, uh, I, okay? yes I was, and did you sort of ever sort of think as you were doing that did you ever sort of think god what, what will our fans say or did you have to do the neil young david bowie this doesn't matter this is what i've got to do myself and if they come on this journey that's fine because obviously when you know i know as a fan I, i'm probably you know like quite you know, you, you you love a band, but then they bring another album out and then another album and eventually you go, oh, I don't know, I'm getting bored mm -hmm. of it. So, so you know, I'm just saying that we as fans are a bit of a pain in the ass, really, aren't we? Because because we want you to stay the same, but if you change, if you do do stay the same, we moan. So if you do change... Yeah, that's that's the paradox, because if we, if it, if the, 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 the artist you like stays the same, then you, you, you start getting bored as well, you know? So, so basically, we always lost fans 
every every uh, every new album, but we also had new fans, you know. So you, I think you you cannot calculate because uh, you cannot say uh, an average fan is or, or an audience is, you know. It's it's an abstract concept, you know. You you cannot start to make uh, statistically uh, what should I do musically to please my fans, you know, because of course uh, you you're gonna please half of them and you're gonna bore half the other half you know or, or i don't know exactly the percentage it depends on what you do but you, you cannot calculate so mm-hmm. i think the only way is, is just to 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 trust what what you what makes you because at at, at the, the bottom line is that uh, a band is like three or four people, five people, having fun making music together and 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 transmitting this energy, this positive energy to others. So b- basically, that's how you have to to you don't have to make a concept out of it. You just keep on trying to have fun together and uh, to. To spread it and, and to share it with, with other people, and, and some people are going to think it's not as fun as it was, or it's not as challenging as it was, or it's too rock and roll now, or it's not as as uh, industrial, or it's too electronic and blah blah. You're always going to have this, you know. Whatever you do, you know, the more people like you, the more people hate you. I think. You know? yes. <laughs> so, so you, you you can't calculate that, you know. I think you you just have to be honest with with your your friends and your musician, uh, your partners, uh, and try to to do something you like. And to 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 bring it to to live, uh, doing gigs and albums, basically, you know. Well, yes, absolutely. And and and, and growing up, uh, I think we we were lucky because we still have fans coming to our shows now uh, who uh, have have seen lots of shows and, and like for example in Portugal, I had some people telling me. Uh, you don't, you don't, you don't realize how much you educated some of us here in Portugal, bringing this music here and so on and so on. You know, and some some of the people we they don't come to our shows anymore because they have seen tens of them and and they think we always do the, the same thing, which I don't think is true. But you know, it's different senses, sensibilities, and, and you cannot like, control that anyway. Yes, yeah. and Listen. nobody can. Yeah, I mean, just before we talk about the new album, which is coming, which is out. But um, do you ever sort of look at those artists? Because there was a few people I've interviewed, like um, Momus, and there was, you know, who who was Momus, and then there was Lawrence from Felt, who's kind of you know, just done music all his life, and then people like Liebach as well, who I've interviewed, and I just love that kind of ability that they they bring out these kind of completely random, not random albums, but you know, they 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 just did the sound of music, which is kind of quite an unusual thing to do for a band like that. Totally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you, do you ever sort of think, yes, actually, I can see that the, the, the sort of the back, you know, a bit like Captain Beefheart or the Velvet Underground, mm-hmm. you know, you can you can be incredibly experimental and you can do something which is quite way out there. And you think, and and obviously with Bowie, you know, he did, you know, he did, you know, he started with a sort of folky album in the seventies with Hunky Dory, and then rock and glam, and then he did sort of dance and then you did that sort of station to station then low mm-hmm. you're thinking that's that's a lot of styles you did in one decade david so do you yeah. do you all do you sort of does that give you i suppose what i'm trying to say is do looking at people like that get, you know give you confidence all that permission just to think no i can just completely go out there and go on this journey and if people come with me fine if they don't then at least you've been honest with yourself yeah definitely i think that that's a that's a radical uh um, um, decision, you know, you're taking risks, and I think 
uh, artists, uh, I, I believe in, in, in artists taking risks, you know. N now I think also you have to watch out that if you're always uh, seeking for originality, it's it's also a quest which is uh, uh, weird in, in a way, you know, because the, then it's like... Uh, 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 originality is, is as old as the world, you know what I'm saying? It's like uh, if if you let's say sometimes you like an artist to be faithful to to what he's doing, you know, because that's what he does best, you know. And, and if the next album, the new album, is even more uh, emotional or intense, and and uh, it, it doesn't have to be uh, using uh, Electronic music or auto-tune to be uh, 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 tuned with uh, what people like to hear now, you know. So, so sometimes it's. I think there is no formula basically, but uh, I, I like artists taking risks definitely. Yes. Yeah. And with the new album, obviously that there's been, you know, there was quite a gap between Everybody Knows to um, Data Mirage, Tran Gram. Mm -hmm. Tran -Gram. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of songs on it which were just absolutely stunning. I love the song Moon Above. Did you, could you sort of explain how that sort of came together as a, as a track? Uh, Destructuration, des like a, a deconstruction of, 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 there's no more rhythm anymore in there. This, it's just like, a, it's, it's totally uh, without references, without uh, rhythmical references, which is, uh, absolutely opposite to to uh, what we uh, musicians using computers uh, are, are meant to, to do you know with everything on the grid with the tempo and 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 so on so this this was really fun to do because because uh, uh, we've never been as 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 radical with uh, uh, this, this deconstructing a beat you know and and I thought uh, how can I say? I like the fact that you you don't know if it's the computer or the drummer exactly. You know, you're a bit confused with what, what who's doing what. You know, yes. <laughs> even even when when we play it, you know. So I thought that that's great, and and I'm I'm the element uh, giving as a singer and 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 a harp player, Jewish harp player, who basically keeps it down to earth you know at some point because it it's it's a blues you know if you go deep into into the feeling of the song uh, at the end of uh, uh, it's it's like i'm singing the blues basically you know and and uh, i think this is also a, a way to question styles and and try to open minds about what is what you know in music you know is this, is it the blues or is it not a blues is it totally free jazz what is what is this song doing here you know and uh, it's a good uh, surprise I think in a way yes it, it works as a, as a, as a, a bit of a shock therapy without having uh, to be uh, extremely loud or anything you know it's just the music itself is like whoa. What is that? <laughs> yeah, well, it's incredibly textured, I have to say. Mm -hmm. was, and, you know, and I was kind of, you know, stunned, really, by hearing it, because I sort of, you know, I heard the album a few times, like there's Tear Up the Red Sky, which is quite different, and then you, you gave, gave me a name as well, which, again, is, is kind of quite a mesmerising song as well. So I was just wondering, you know, like how these, how you sort of bring these together and sort of get to that point where you can say, that's it, we're kind of pleased with that, or whether it's just one of those... 
you know, I just wonder how long it does take to sort of get to the point where you're sort of happy to, to sort of commit to it. Uh, this, this took about, uh, I would say, two years. Then there was a year of, uh, of, of really like putting it together, not the whole year because we, we had to do, uh, it was a period where we, not, we were not gigging so much, so we had to sometimes uh, have periods of uh, finding money uh, in a different way. And then uh, it, the, we started with these ideas in, in 2015, basically. Right. And the record was finished uh, and mixed, uh, mastered in uh, to July 2018, three years later. So altogether, the process took three years. Wow. From the very very start to 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 the to the mastering uh, process. And then you've got the tour as well, which is coming. Yeah. Then then I basically it took about six months to come out uh, because in July it was ready, but being on an independent label, you know, you 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 have to make sure that you know everything gets uh, ready when you start the tour. Then we started touring in March. Uh, to this year basically we did a month and a half until until the end of april and then a few festivals in the summer and now we go back to finish this uh, this record uh, to, uh, tour basically mm-hmm. which is quite amazing because i have seen the schedule and you are really going to um have you spent a lot of time getting fit for this tour because it is quite intense isn't it yeah 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 <laughs> well uh uh, I think uh, I'm hope yeah enough enough uh, yeah yes <laughs> <laughs> really, well, yeah it's a, a, a big list of uh, uh, places but, uh, yeah well I I sort of spoken to there was a guy who was in the band called the Godfathers and also Fish from Mar- Marillion who's now just a solo artist and he, and they both said they they try and almost do. 30, 30 dates in thirty days just because of the economics uh, of it and yeah, and. That, and yeah, and just nice. knowing that it's gonna it's gonna be really punishing, especially when you get to, you know, I don't know, your early sixties and thinking that. You yeah, know. that's madness. I wouldn't do. I would. I mean, I always I always tell my agent, uh, 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 I cannot be singing six days in a row. I'm gonna break my voice. I mean, you have to give me a day off after five shows because uh, then I might not be able to keep it with the vocals. Yes. The voice. Yeah. And when you, and just kind of briefly, or just, you know, almost lastly, I mean, when sort of, because obviously you've, you've created an amazing body of work and been sort of doing, doing, committed your life to it. I mean, when you look back, is there any particular period that you think, God, that was, that was it? Or is it the case that you feel that now? I just wondered if there was, yeah, because there are times we, as we all get older, we reflect back. And I just wondered if you can remember bits where you thought, God, that was a really golden period, you know. And often those periods don't last for long because then something comes along and whacks you or you trip over the pavement. And you think, oh, well, mm-hmm. there you go. Well, well, I had some kind of a, a insight when we were t- touring uh, in the States in 96. And uh, uh, I had this... Uh, Actually, it's a, it's an interesting story because uh, our first tour in the states was '89, and it was like uh, uh, you know heavy conditions. You know, we, we had a, a motorhome, and and uh, we we were doing like a bit like 30 shows in in 40 days or something, and we we were uh, touring clubs, 
and there were posters of uh, the next uh, bands coming to the clubs and there was this band called Nine Inch Nails that was starting at the time and uh, we we had actually the f their first record that just came out and we really liked it you know and there was it was it was a new band basically and we thought that that's, that's a great band you know and they they're from the states and and they're playing in the same clubs that, that you know that we are and then we did our 30 35 dates then came back to Europe and then we went back in in 91 or 92 play our second uh, United States tour and actually we saw that Nine Inch Nails uh, they kept on touring for these two years and a half you know <laughs> non-stop you know and uh, and then we realized that if if you wanna and they became actually big by doing this you know but they kept on like the heavy way playing all the clubs non-stop non-stop for two years and a half so um we realized that even in the United States, you know, if you're an American band, you have to go it the hard way, you know. And, and we thought, are we ready to do this, you know? And then uh, we thought, mm, we our roots are uh, based in, in Europe, you know. We don't want to move to the States and become an American band like like other did, basically. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with KMFDM, uh, a Berlin-based band at the time that moved to Chicago and uh, and lived there and make and made it quite big at the time in, in the 90s but we were not ready to do that so we thought mm, nah that's not us you know we, we we like coming to the United States and, and play a month and a half and that's it you know and um, respect to to all those those bands who are doing it the hard way you know so that's I think that's an interesting story so that's when we took the decision, especially uh, Al, uh, that was my keyboard sampling partner at the time. Uh, we thought, mm, because in 94, 95, we moved to New York for a year to record uh, an uh, album that was called Only Heaven. And and uh, after that experience, we thought, nah, we're not ready to to change our life and, and become American. That's not, not, not our stuff, you know. Yes. So that was a turning point in, in our career because we thought mm, that our audience is also in Europe. We don't want to, you know, they saw us uh, grow up and we have to be faithful to that. This, this is our roots and we, we don't want to be, we don't want to change our lifestyle anyway. Yes. So that was a turning point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you, for the, well, I don't know if this was just America, but you were on Interscope, weren't you? Who were, yeah. Who was run by, or one of the members, who I, I sort of, I love my rock documentaries, and they had that character that was um, Jimmy Iovine. Jimmy Iovine, Iovine, yeah. Yes, yeah, sure. and, and well, that, was, that was quite an amazing insight, because it was also connected eventually to Dr. Dre and Beats and all that kind of Yeah, they stuff, were making like. all their money with those acts, also those uh, rapped uh, gangsters. The rap, uh, the gangster acts. rap, yeah, yeah and, yes. and and they were signing bands they really liked, you know. Uh, it was like the alternative rock on one side and and uh, the gangster uh, rap. So were you yeah. getting almost drawn into that world that was kind of Nine Inch Nails and the Marilyn Manson, and then you had on the other side you had that amazing everyone being shot on the on the rap scene, which obviously you wouldn't want to go in that way or, or way because um, you'd end up dead probably. But um, yes, so the, the, so were you sort of was there was there that temptation then to sort of 
look at the big money because Jimmy obviously knew how to make and does know how to make massive amounts of money, doesn't he? Yeah, basically they believed in us for being uh, like uh, becoming a big thing, you know. But then uh, when we delivered the record, uh, Only Heaven, yes, they were a bit skeptical about it. They thought, uh, it, it, we like it, but it doesn't sound like TV Sky, the one that was done just right before. And they said, uh, we're going to release it, no problem. But to us, it sounds a bit too European. <laughs> and we were like, uh, what does that mean? You know, <laughs> too European? We, we don't have a clue of what, what they were talking about. You know, it's just like that we saw there was a big, uh, like, cultural uh, difference, you know, into their expectation and, and what we thought was just the logical follow-up of, of the TV Sky, you know, that, that came out in 92. Yes. That's the record why they, they signed us because of that record, you know, at the time. So when we delivered the, the one they signed us for, Only Heaven, they were a bit surprised. And then in, in, in 97, we delivered a totally uh, instrumental ambient record. <laughs> and they were like, oh, but this is not rock at all. You know, we don't know how to work. I mean, they were, they were great, actually. They were always very honest. And and uh, no bullshit, you know. And said we, we don't know how to. And at the time we were in into Apex Twin or more, uh, you know, underground uh, uh, radical electronic music. So we delivered an ambient record, <laughs> and they were like, "No, this is not rock and roll. We we don't know how to work that here. But if you want to release it on a, on an indie label, feel free and come back to us when you have something more uh, rock and roll, you know." <laughs> so we're yes. like, "Okay, fair enough, you know." Oh yeah, that's fine. Because that's the one thing that a lot of people get tripped up by, and I don't. I just wonder, just lastly, if, if you um, did you manage to keep hold of your music throughout those years with that kind of wonderful world that is publishing and stuff like that? Yeah, we we had some trouble, of course, like any band. You know, we we had uh, like low low case with uh, uh, the Belgian company we were signed on. You know, and then so, so there's been some some periods which were like uh, uh, difficult definitely and sometimes um, those periods makes you you know question uh, if you want to, not me but uh, Al uh, he, he at some point was just uh, thinking about you know stopping doing music because of all the, the music business and, and all the, the, the stuff around it you know so so uh, yeah we, we had like a basically a we always believed in what we were doing, but uh, it's it's not a, it's not been uh, just uh, fun all the way, you know. No, definitely not. Yeah, it has been tricky. And just, I mean, one thing that I've noticed: thirty years seems to be this passing the time when people suddenly go, "God, we need to archive everything and make a film." Has there ever been those kind of, you know, with with you sort of wanting to sort of document the band? Yeah, there is something going on there is a a team of young guys who who really wants to do a documentary about the band so i hope it's gonna it's gonna happen basically yeah God, that would be great yeah that would just be brilliant mm -hmm. that is great oh i'm so pleased because as as you probably gather that i would i just love my rock documentaries on anybody really <laughs> and uh, <laughs> i could watch any documentary from even chicago i loved even loved watching that one um so the band that is and um you know twisted have sister. you seen the one have you seen the one with uh uh grace jones oh no 
God. Ah, it's fantastic. You have to, you have to see that, that because it's all the making of uh, her last record that came out basically now probably nine years ago. But uh, she she uh, she was out of the she was uh, off the radar for qu- quite a decade, and then she came back with that album with Sly and Robbie Dunbar and did the whole process of being an icon, you know, and coming back on stage, but having to pay everything yourself and, you know, deal with uh, musicians and all that stuff. When you, she was like probably 50 when she, she did that record and it's a fantastic record, you know? So there's a documentary about that. And it's, I would definitely recommend it, you know, because, uh, uh, I mean, I love Grace Jones personally, but, uh, but, uh, the documentary is, is worth, uh, Scene, definitely. Yeah. Yes. Well, I know. I mean, I even enjoyed enjoyed the one about Bros, which um, they weren't my favourite band, as you could imagine. But it was still kind of interesting to hear them. So, um, and how they coped with the world that is being on stage. Yeah. 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 The danger. Did you manage to sort of? Because obviously, you being the front man and sort of getting all that attention and being a pin up. Did how did your brain cope with that side of it? Uh, I've. I, I think it, that was pretty natural to me at some point. And little by little, I, I, you know, with time and age, the energy changes. And, and uh, uh, I think that's probably also why now I, I, I took the guitar and play guitar on stage again, you know, and, and, and the attention is different. I'm, I'm more at service with the music and, and not as the central member the 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 the, the, the focus of, of the audience it's more of a, 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 a let's say a teamwork I, I want to you know the band is the band and there's yeah maybe it's not that i yeah. assume the, the 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 role of frontman i still assume it but i think uh, uh, it's not that important to me, as it was in the past, or, or where I had the feeling of uh, having to to bring the energy of the band, now I think I'm just part of it, which is, uh, uh, I, I feel comfortable with this, basically. Yes, I would imagine, a huge relief. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. that's good. And just lastly, what would you, I mean, just briefly, just what would you say to an 18-year-old self that was starting out in in the creative and interesting world that is making music? Uh, I would I would say, I mean, I'm, I'm very happy about all the decisions I took at the time, you know, and, and I think uh, uh, I would say to any young musician starting now that uh, it's definitely not a, uh, you cannot start uh, uh, it's it's not a comfort zone. That's what I mean, you know. And uh, you have to believe in yourself, whatever people say around you, you know, and just keep on, and not not starting to uh, um, wanting to compromise and please everybody because it, then it's you have to keep on with your vision and listen to that and and, and try to. That's that's the only way I would say. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, look, thank you ever so much. And yeah, um, really, really enjoyed that. And, yeah. and like I said, it was fantastic seeing you back then. And hopefully we'll catch you again soon. But uh, yes, yeah, so it was a fantastic evening. And um, it was nice hearing Steve from that Petrol Motion reminisce okay. about the, the, you know, the, the yeah, meeting great. back in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So anyway, look, I hope it goes well. I love the new album, and I still. I'm hot. glad you. I'm, I'm happy you like it. Yeah, it's really it's, amazing. It's, it's quite different. Just, yeah. yeah, it's different, but it's it's got to be different, hasn't it? Really. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we say. Anyway, look, have a lovely evening, and thank you again. Yeah. Thank. Nice talking to you, David. Huh? Take good care, and uh, all the best to you. Huh? Yeah. Okay? Take care. You too. Bye bye. Ciao. Ciao.